Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unconfirmed, the show that reveals how the marquee names in crypto are reacting to the week's top headlines and gets the inside scoop on what they see on the horizon. I'm your host, Laura Shin, a journalist with over two decades of experience. I started covering crypto six years ago, and as a senior editor at Forbes, was the first mainstream media reporter to cover cryptocurrency full-time. This is the August 13th, 2021 episode of Unconfirmed. The Unchained newsletter has switched from a weekly news recap to a daily email. Each morning, you'll get four to five quick headlines, a crypto meme or two, and a few recommended reads. Head to unchainedpodcast.com and the sign up for the newsletter is right on the homepage. Polymarket is the leading information markets platform where you can trade on the most hotly debated topics, whether it's politics, coronavirus, current events, and more, all on the blockchain. For a limited time, sign up with referral code UNCONFIRMED to get your first trade reimbursed up to $100. The Crypto.com app pays you up to 8.5% interest on your Bitcoin. Get $25 when you download the Crypto.com app with code LAURA. The link is in the description. Looking for NFTs that are useful and fun? Try SoRare, the largest NFT-based fantasy game. You can collect, trade, and compete with officially licensed digital cards of soccer players from over 160 clubs on SoRare. That's S-O-R-A-R-E dot com. Today's guest is Mudit Gupta, core developer at SushiSwap. Welcome, Mudit. Hey, everyone. This week saw the largest exploit in DeFi history. In fact, it was one of the biggest hacks in all of crypto history in which an attacker was able to steal more than $600 million worth of coins from the cross-chain protocol Poly Network. Why don't you give us an overview of what happened here? Yeah, sure. Um, so I'll start with the basics. The uh, brief background about Poly Network is that it is a cross-blockchain uh, application. Um, it allows you to pass messages from one blockchain to another. One of their main product is a bridge between different blockchains. So if you have tokens on Ethereum, you can move them to BSC or numerous other blockchains that Poly Network supports. The way this bridge works is that you lock tokens on one blockchain and then you can unlock them um, on other blockchains. So uh, it maintains a balance between locked and unlocked. What the hacker eventually managed to do is break this balance and unlock their tokens without uh, locking any tokens um, in exchange. So um, they basically like broke this balance and withdrew all balance, all tokens without having to lock their own tokens. Wow, that that is um, <laughs> quite quite a, a simple actually attack um, to extract a huge amount of tokens. So, as you mentioned, Poly Network is a cross chain network, but I did see a lot of crypto people, and I myself also had not heard of Poly Network before this moment. So can you tell us kind of how it is that um, it was that, you know, many of us had not heard of it? Yeah, sure. Uh, so firstly, like this hack was actually 
relatively complex. Um, there were a lot of steps involved. Um, I'm just oversimplifying here uh, in some sort, but it was indeed a like complex act. And the reason probably none of us none of us have heard about Poly Network is that their target audience is in China. Um, I'm sure most of the Chinese users would have heard about it and probably used it. But outside China, I don't think anyone really uh, uses Poly Network. Yeah, yeah. And actually, when I called it simple, what I meant was, it, it's not like they had to hack keys, right? They ended up just kind of making their key the one that could could uh, give themselves the money. So in that sense, it was... Um, it was, I guess, sort of like, um, almost like a, whatchamacallit, just kind of going around the normal route or something. Yeah, sure. It was indeed a unique attack. Um, it wasn't like your uh, previous hacks uh, in the DeFi space, which usually use something like flash loans, price manipulation, and stuff like that. But it was quite different. Um, honestly, Poly Network has quite a unique architecture from other protocols. So, um, yes, the hack was also unique the attacker managed to kick out the trusted parties from the system and replace them with their own malicious party. Um, they call it keeper in the system. So yeah, once the uh, this key was replaced of the keeper, um, the attacker was free to do anything they want. Yeah. So so just to actually break down the steps a little bit more, um, you know, you kind of mentioned at the mm-hmm. end, but and, and I mean, you did give us the overview, but why don't you just walk us step by step what they did? Um, Without obviously going into yeah. such technical details, people won't be able to follow. Yeah, sure. Um, so I can start with some background about Poly Network. Firstly, um, they have a system, they have a concept of keepers. Keepers are trusted entities that sign messages uh, that are then val- validated uh, by the blockchain. So um, as we know, Ethereum can't directly talk to other blockchains like BSC. Um, so we need an intermediary source uh, that can validate messages uh, that happened on Ethereum and uh, tell BSC that it actually happened. And similarly, if something happens on BSC, uh, these guys uh, validate it and tell Ethereum that this actually happened. Um, this is the basic job of keepers. Now, as long as these keepers are trusted entities and they are uh, not behaving maliciously, um, they will only uh, verify actions that only actually happened. So um, if they like sign a transaction uh, of Ethereum, then that transaction must have already happened on Ethereum. Um, they won't sign any transaction that hasn't yet happened. Um, so th- with this, some background, uh, the way Poly Network uh, passes messages around is that they have a manager contract on every blockchain that once it receives receives signed data from the keepers, um, it verifies that the signature is correct. If the signature is correct, it assumes that the transaction actually happened on a different blockchain. Um, it does not. Uh, it has no way to verify it uh, apart from those signatures that this transaction has already happened or not. When the signature is given to it, it very uh, it assumes that the transaction has happened. And it rebroadcasts that transaction on the target chain uh, on which the code is now running. So um, now uh, the transaction, the this is the complete cycle of uh, message passing. Transaction first happens on a source blockchain. The keepers sign it and then pass the data to the destination blockchain. 
and then the destination blockchain rebroadcast this transaction. This means that um, anyone can make the manager contract on the destination blockchain, basically rebroadcast almost any transaction. They just do that transaction on a source blockchain. Um, the keepers will verify it because the transaction has happened. And then the destination blockchain will also execute it. The manager and the destination blockchain will also execute it because this has happened. The security concern with this approach is that uh, since anyone can make the destination uh, chain, the destination manager contract do anything, uh, we should make sure that this contract has no special permission on anything. It does not hold any tokens. It is not an admin of any contract or anything like that. Otherwise, what can happen is, um, let's say I do a transaction on source blockchain, um, which is an admin action. Obviously, I don't have those admin permissions, so it will fail on the source blockchain. But on the destination blockchain, since the transaction is done by the manager contract, not me, if the manager contract has these admin permissions, this transaction will actually go through rather than failing. Uh, and this is a problem. Um, the transaction which was supposed to fail is not going through. And this is what the hacker exploited. Um, they did a transaction on one of the blockchains that failed on that blockchain because they didn't have enough permissions. But it actually went fine uh, on the destination blockchain because there it was executed by the manager rather than the user directly. Um, they used this transaction to replace the keepers in the system. Uh, now, once the keepers were replaced, um, you could make the destination blockchain do any transaction you want. You don't even need to do that transaction on the source blockchain. Uh, the hacker uh, basically created such false transactions, which uh, did not happen on the source blockchain, but uh, they still signed it with the keeper. Uh, they control the keeper now, so they can sign whatever they want. They signed these transactions, which basically said that take all money out of the system and give it to the hacker. These wouldn't have happened on the uh, original network because these can only be called by a specific permission contract. And uh, this contract is obviously not going to call these uh, unless you lock your tokens. Uh, but since keepers can sign, keepers can now sign anything that uh, the hacker wants. They did sign these transactions. They broadcasted these on the destination chain. Um, the destination chain verified the signature. Um, the signatures were correct. And it uh, let the hacker take all the money, withdraw all the money by unlocking these funds. Yeah, and ultimately, it ended up being $273 million of Ethereum coins, coins $253 million worth of Binance Smart Chain coins, and $85 million worth of USDC. And then Tether... Um, it also uh, stole $33 million in Tether, but Tether, the company, ended up blacklisting those USDT. So there's a lot of twists that happened after the actual attack, um, and we'll get to discussing those. But first, a quick word from the sponsors who make this show possible. Do you love sports collectibles or fantasy sports? SoRare is blending this together to create an entirely new gaming experience powered by its community. SoRare cards are officially licensed NFTs from over 160 clubs, including Real Madrid, Paris Saint-Germain, and Liverpool, and built on Ethereum. You truly own your collectibles. They are productive gaming assets that will generate rewards if you're a good fantasy player. Join SoRare and connect with your favorite teams, live the game with passion, and earn weekly prizes. 
Today's sponsor is Polymarket, the world's leading information markets platform where you can trade on the most pressing global questions, all on the blockchain. Choose from a variety of markets. Will Cardano support smart contracts by October? Will the U.S. again have more than 200,000 new COVID cases per day before 2022? Will Trump run for president again? With over $130 million traded on the platform, Polymarket is the go-to place to settle the biggest debates of the day. For a limited time, sign up with referral code UNCONFIRMED to get your first trade reimbursed up to $100. Go to the description and click on the link to get started. That's polymarket.co slash unconfirmed. Back to my conversation with Muda Gupta. So the exploit itself was, um, you know, pretty crazy, just especially the eye-opening amount. But then after that, a number of twists happened. So first, let's start with a tweet from Slow Mist, um, which is, I guess, like a, a security company uh, or an audit company or something. So let me uh, tell us what it is that Slow Mist discovered. Um, yes, so Slow Mist has been working uh, on like finding uh, who the hacker is and what they did since basically these uh, since as soon as people knew that this hack happened, um, I assume they are working working closely with Poly Network and other entities. So they discovered that one of the wallets um, is linked to this hacker's account, and that wallet has done transactions on an exchange, uh, which requires users to go through KYC process. This means that there is a chance that um, the hacker messed up and actually used a KYC verified wallet which will allow the uh, agencies to like actually know the identity of this hacker and uh, get him uh, in real life. Um, so this was one of the slip-ups uh, by the hacker. The hacker later uh, claims that um, this, like they didn't slip up. Maybe they used fake KYC or a stolen account or something. Um, it's basically like we can't verify these claims. Um, either thing is possible. It's also possible it's the real identity or... Uh, they are just making it up. So this was one of the things Slowmist discovered. Then Slowmist has also been working on finding the underlying root cause um, of this hack. Um, I think they did two analysis, a brief one uh, on the day of hack, just a few hours after, uh, later, which didn't contain many details, but um, it did give a brief overview. And then recently they uh, added a more detailed analysis where they went over uh, a bit more details. So yeah, Slowmist has been working on uh, finding who did this. And then the attacker began returning the majority of the tokens, at least as of by Thursday um, noon Eastern time. So yeah. how did that turn of events come about? Yes. So by now, I think about 50% of the tokens have been returned. Um, there are two sides to the story. One, uh, the hacker is claiming that they are a white hat. They always intended to return these tokens. The only reason they hacked them because they didn't trust that Poly Network team. Uh, if they disclose this bug bounty, then the Poly Network team will take proper actions and uh, resolve this issue properly. They were scared that such a big amount might persuade the team themselves to like run away with these funds or whatever. Um, so um, it's their claim that they actually saved the project. They actually saved the money of the users and now they are returning it. And since the project now is under limelight, the project will not run away with these funds or anything. 
But um, the other side of the story is that um, it is highly likely that Slow Mist and other teams were narrowing down on the real identity of the hacker. Um, this identity linked to exchange was one of the slip-ups that the hacker did and some other stuff. So if these these teams were getting closer and the hacker was realizing that, um, so they might have changed their story. Like I, I believe they, their original motive was not to return these funds. The actions they took after immediately getting these funds, like they sent out a tip to a person who uh, tried helping them launder these funds. Uh, they were uh, talking about creating a DAO, trolling the Poly Network team and stuff. All of these uh, kind of actions are usually not done by white hackers, but people who have malicious intentions. Um, that being said, it is uh, hard to tell what the exact intentions of the hacker was hacker were, but I believe that they changed their motives once they realized that they can get into trouble if their identity is released. This is obviously a very large amount of money and uh, people will do their best to grab hold of this person in real life. Even laundering such a large amount of money is very risky. So um, if they wanted to actually use these funds, they will have to go through a lot of risky hoops. Uh, and now they are uh, trying to get a legit a bug bounty reward in exchange for returning these funds. So they're negotiating the terms with the team right now. But um, I guess under uh, like in the curtains, it's they are saying maybe I return you ninety five percent of the funds. You let me keep five percent, and um, you don't do any like uh, you don't take any legal actions or anything against me. You announce this as a reward and uh, like give me legal money that I can uh, legally use without any troubles. These negotiations are still going on. I guess they are uh, negotiating the amount and the terms, um, but this is where the situation is right now. Yeah, the whole thing, just every twist and turn has been pretty crazy. Um, one other aspect of this is that um, they've been broadcasting a bunch of messages um, through the blockchain. Can you talk about kind of how that conversation's been going and how that came about and why they're doing this? Yeah, sure. Um, so, I think uh, at the start, it started out as something a bit cocky um, in some sense. They were teasing people, trolling the team and posting uh, such comments. Uh, when uh, They also tipped a user who tried helping them launder money and uh, stuff like that. So I think it started out as a nefarious thing, um, a chaotic evil of some sorts. Uh, but over time, it has uh, become a bit more neutral communication medium. Now they are actually doing Q&As uh, on the blockchain. I think they have done four till now. Uh, people are asking them questions by sending them messages and they are answering those questions on the blockchain. Uh, they also use the blockchain to communicate with the Poly Network team. Uh, they posted uh, address and uh, they said encrypt messages with the public key of this account. They know the private key so they can decrypt these messages. So they have established an encrypted medium of communication between them and the Poly Network team. Uh, these messages uh, we can't decipher. We don't know what they're talking about. And similarly, uh, different agencies that might be listening on will not be able to decipher these messages unless the Poly Network team decides to disclose, uh, disclose this. Um, so now I believe um, it has, uh, this communication medium has become something quite useful. Um, this is the only medium to talk to this hacker right now. So I think, yeah, it's a very important bit. Yeah. One thing I wanted to add was that tip that they sent to the person who said, 
you know, don't use your tether because it's blacklisted. Um, the tip they sent was the amount of uh, one three three seven, which is yeah. like this like internet leet speak, and yes. um, so it, it's definitely. Uh, and, and what lead speak is, is a way of using numbers to spell letters and words. And so, um, yeah, it's just kind of like a, a deep in internet culture thing. And it sort of shows kind of maybe a little bit of the personality of the attacker. Um, so, I mean, this attack just raises all kinds of questions because, um, so obviously Tether, which is a centralized company, was able to blacklist the Tether. Um, but then there were people, uh, you know, I, I think that maybe also were questioning whether Binance, because it has launched Binance Smart Chain or whether USDC could do anything about what happened with those coins. So what, what do you, you know, think happened there and, and should have happened there? Yeah, sure. Um, so let's talk one by one. Uh, Tether actually responded quite quickly. Uh, after the hack, they immediately blocked the balance. So that's great. USDC has similar functionality, but I guess they were just a bit slower in reacting. Uh, and uh, the hacker had already deposited these tokens in Curve by then. So um, the even if USDC wanted to blacklist them, they wouldn't have been able to do it. Um, so I, I props to Tether for reacting so quickly. Um, but uh, for other folks, um, I guess maybe somehow they need to improve their alerting monitoring uh, system or something. As far as BSC goes, um, although BSC is relatively centralized as compared to other blockchains, but is not, but it's not centralized in a way that um, like any single uh, identity can or entity can block this hacker from doing transactions. There are still uh, like or two dozens validator on BSC and all of them will have to collude to block this person and getting that sort of collusion is uh, not easy in a short time time frame and even if it was possible for CZ to uh, let's say anyone to get that card, uh, that sort of uh, arrangement on BSC they wouldn't really want to do it because um, BSC is positioned as a as a chain that is free, that is censorship resistant. And if you take an action that blocks uh, these hackers, uh, it does not look good from uh, optics point of view from uh, BSE's users. Yeah. So as you mentioned at this point, um, the attacker is negotiating with the Poly Network team to keep 5% of the tokens as sort of like a bounty. Um, what do you think the Poly Network should do at this point? Um, yeah, sure. So I think we can uh, take a page from your traditional ransomware requests and uh, stuff like that. So the uh, what like the suggested approach in these cases is to pay the ransom, whatever the demand is, uh, get your product back, um, get as much of funds uh, secured as possible. And once that has happened, then you can continue uh, taking all those legal actions and whatever you were originally planning on uh, taking. So even if right now uh, Poly Network agrees to a settlement with the user, um, this settlement, like if they wanted to uh, pursue a legal action at a later date, this settlement won't matter. Uh, what this person did will likely be treated as illegal in most jurisdictions. Uh, now, I'm not a lawyer, but uh, they, these are my views. So um, whatever, the pers whatever Poly Network agrees to right now, uh, will not really be considered as a final agreement in the uh, 
codes and on. So uh, right now, the strategy for Poly Network should be to secure as many funds as possible and then decide if um, they should continue pursuing other means of getting to this user. Um, if the amount remains, like if the hacker agrees that they'll keep a bug bounty of like 100k dollars or something and return everything else, then I think it makes sense to not take any further actions. The hacker probably deserved those 100k. But if the hacker is saying that I want to keep $10 million, um, like I think $10 million might also be fine, but let's say they are saying $100 million. They have returned 50% of the funds now, so they still have $300 million left. If they are saying they want to keep anywhere between 100 to 300 then I think that is not really justified. Um, for now, the Poly Network team should give in to the, these demands, but still consider um, options of uh, taking these traditional legal methods. Yeah, but w what is the typical amount for a bounty? Uh, the traditionally accepted value for critical bugs like these is 10% of the amount hacked. Um, so um, at worst, you should be giving, uh, this was a 600 million uh, billion, uh, 600 million hack. So you should at most be giving 60 million to the user. But I personally feel that this amount should be taking as the uh, hack, like amount at risk increases. So for maybe uh, like if the hack amount was $1 million, then maybe 10% 100K is justified. But for such large amounts like 600M, I don't think 10% is justified. Um, even like a million dollar bug bounty is a life-changing amount. And I think it's a fair amount uh, for um, this hack. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I I would agree with that, um, but we'll see what happens. All right. Well, this has been such a fascinating discussion. Thank you so much for coming on Unconfirmed. You know, it was uh, nice talking to you. Don't forget, next up is the weekly news recap. Stick around for This Week in Crypto after this short break. With over 10 million users, Crypto.com is the easiest place to buy and sell over 90 cryptocurrencies. Grow your crypto with Crypto.com Earn, which pays up to 8.5% interest on your Bitcoin and 14% interest on your stablecoins. When it's time to spend your crypto, nothing beats the Crypto.com Visa card, which pays you up to 8% back instantly and gives you 100% rebates for your Netflix, Spotify, and Amazon Prime subscriptions. Download the Crypto.com app now and get $25 by using the code LAURA. The link is in the description. Thanks for tuning in to this week's News Recap. First headline. The Infrastructure Bill Saga Ends at the Beginning. On Tuesday, the Senate passed its infrastructure bill, voting 69 to 30 to invest $1.2 trillion into the country's public works. To the crypto industry's chagrin, however, the bill moved out of the Senate without changing a certain provision regarding crypto taxation, despite multiple amendments being offered. As a refresher, the original and final language requires reporting for crypto brokers in order to bring in $28 billion in taxes over the next few years. The provision mandates crypto brokers report customer gains via a 1099 and any transactions over $10,000 to the Internal Revenue Service. While the community does not object to appropriate entities being taxed, the provision received vociferous backlash over its broad definition of a crypto broker. Kristen Smith, executive director of the Blockchain Association, interpreted the bill to encompass, quote, software wallet developers, hardware wallet manufacturers, multi-sig service providers, liquidity providers, DAO token holders, and potentially even miners, 
as brokers under the current iteration of the bill. Such a requirement would force pseudonymous decentralized protocols to collect and enforce Know Your Customer or KYC information, an impossible task. Senators proposed multiple amendments, though none gained the support necessary. Notably, on Monday morning, a last-ditch compromise between Senators Cynthia Lummis, Pat Toomey, Mark Warner, Rob Portman, and Kirsten Sinema to amend the contentious language fell just short of approval, courtesy of a single objection from Senator Richard Shelby. The infrastructure package is now on its way to the House of Representatives with the crypto provision's original language intact. However, the crypto industry, nor the House, will be taken by surprise this time around. Coin Center's Jerry Brito is ready to make a brand new amendment, tweeting, The bad news is that the amendment did not receive consent, so it will not make the bill. The good news is we're not giving up. Next stop is the House where we can try to get a whole new amendment from scratch that can address all our concerns. Four members of the House's Blockchain Caucus are also prepared for another round of crypto policy debates, with Representatives Tom Emmer, Darren Soto, Bill Foster, and David Schweikert penning a letter to their colleagues, noting, quote, We must prioritize amending this language to clearly exempt non-custodial blockchain intermediaries and ensure that civil liberties are protected. On Thursday, Representative Anna Eshoo also joined the fray, penning a letter to House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, encouraging an amendment to the problematic broker definition. Next headline. On Coinbase, ETH flipped BTC. Coinbase announced its second quarter results on Tuesday. Here are three things you need to know. At $1.6 billion, Q2 profit nearly doubled that of Q1. Total revenue also outperformed expectations coming in at $2.03 billion, compared to the $1.88 billion predicted by the analyst consensus compiled by Bloomberg. Second, Coinbase users were very active this quarter, with monthly transacting users growing 44% from Q1 to Q2. Its total user base also jumped, climbing to 68 million verified customers. Point three, Coinbase also saw Ethereum flip Bitcoin this quarter, at least in terms of trading volume. In Q2, Ethereum made up 26% of the exchange's volume, while Bitcoin only held a 24% share. Additionally, in an earnings call, CEO Brian Armstrong said that 10% of the top 100 hedge funds by assets under management are Coinbase clients. The exchange also mentioned SpaceX, Tesla, and PNC Bank specifically as institutional clients, marking the first public acknowledgement of a Tesla-Coinbase relationship. Next headline. Brian Brooks resigns as CEO of Binance US. Last Friday, Brian Brooks dropped a bombshell via Twitter announcing his resignation as CEO of Binance US after just a few months on the job. He wrote, quote, Greetings, crypto community, letting you all know that I have resigned as CEO of Binance US. Despite differences over strategic direction, I wish my former colleagues much success. Exciting new things to come. Before his short tenure with Binance US, Brooks was the acting head of the Office of the Controller of the Currency, the regulator for national banks, under President Trump. He also worked as Coinbase's top lawyer in 2018. It initially appeared that Brooks's impressive regulatory resume was a perfect match for Binance, which has faced intense scrutiny from jurisdictions like the UK and Japan in 2021. His hiring was even considered a steal that ruffled feathers over at Circle, where Brooks had been on the cusp of accepting a position as president before abruptly moving over to Binance US, as described by Decrypt's Jeff Roberts in a July report. In response to Brooks's departure, Binance CEO Changpeng Zhao wished him the best in the future and thanked him for his invaluable work. A divergence from the exchange's handling of Brooks's predecessor 
Catherine Coley, who was not even mentioned after being ousted to make room for Brooks. Next headline, Tether Reveals Reserve Details. On Monday, Tether released a new attestation, revealing the details of its $62.8 billion in reserves for the world to parse. This is Tether's second reserves report since launching in 2014, prompted by a settlement with the New York Attorney General's office earlier this year. CNBC's Kate Rooney tweeted out a simple description, writing, Tether out with new audit on what's backing the stablecoin. Mostly commercial paper includes other crypto money. $31 billion worth of commercial paper, $6 billion worth of cash, $1 billion worth of reverse repo or reverse repurchases, $15 billion in T-bills or treasury bills, $2.5 billion in secured loans, $4.8 billion in corporate bonds, funds, and precious metals, and $2 billion in other investments, including digital tokens. In the new attestation dated June 30th, Tether released both the composition of its reserves, along with the ratings and maturity of its commercial paper and commercial deposits. Interestingly, $30.8 billion, or 48% of Tether's reserves, were held in commercial paper and certificates of deposit, of which 93% were rated A2 and above. Only 1.3% was rated A3 or below. Audit firm Moore Cayman was responsible for assuring the attestation. Quote, our most recent assurance opinion from Moore Cayman again confirms Tether is fully backed, said Tether CEO Paolo Arduino. A healthy and conservative portfolio with an emphasis on liquidity continues to fuel our growth and confidence in our innovative offerings. In related stablecoin news, USDC issuer Circle has ambitions to become a U.S. national bank, according to an S-4 filing on Monday. The company, which plans to go public via a SPAC, told the bloc that it, quote, intends to become a full reserve national commercial bank, operating under the supervision and risk management requirements of the Federal Reserve, U.S. Treasury, and OCC, and the FDIC. In its filing, Circle cited risk reduction regarding its current reliance on third-party payment services as a motive for transitioning to a banking structure. Next headline, BitMEX settles with the CFTC and FinCEN. Crypto derivatives platform BitMEX is settling with the United States Commodities Future Trading Commission, or CFTC, and Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, or FinCEN. The company has agreed to pay $100 million to resolve charges, with $50 million going to each of the regulators for violating the Bank Secrecy Act, commodities regulations, and CFTC rules. According to a consent order filed Tuesday, the CFTC found that BitMEX had offered U.S. customers leveraged and unlicensed crypto products between 2014 and 2020. Furthermore, the platform's Know Your Customer and anti-money laundering safeguards were described as inadequate. FinCEN's deputy director, Anna Lou Tyrrell, said, quote, BitMEX's rapid growth into one of the largest futures commission merchants offering convertible virtual currency derivatives without a commensurate anti-money laundering program put the U.S. financial system at meaningful risk. It is critical that platforms build in financial integrity from the start so that financial innovation and opportunity are protected from vulnerabilities and exploitation. For now, the $100 million will only settle civil charges against BitMEX. The CFTC's criminal case against BitMEX founders Arthur Hayes, Benjamin Dello, and Samuel Reed will continue. In a blog post, Alexander Hopner, chief executive officer of BitMEX, expressed relief, saying, quote, Today marks an important day in our company's history, and we are very glad to put this behind us. As crypto matures and enters a new era, we too have evolved into the largest crypto derivatives platform with a fully verified user base. 
Comprehensive user verification, robust compliance, and anti-money laundering capabilities are not only hallmarks of our business, they are drivers of our long-term success. Next headline. SEC versus Ripple Recap. The Securities and Exchange Commission, or SEC, is requesting Slack messages from Ripple concerning its ongoing legal battle with the company. According to documents reviewed by Decrypt, the SEC contends that Ripple's original supply of Slack messages, sent over July 1st, was incomplete, leading to a negative impact on the trial, with the SEC deposing over 11 Ripple witnesses based on incomplete message data. The SEC believes that over 1 million messages are missing, which the regulator says will help in its case against Ripple. Relatedly, Jeff Roberts, executive editor at Decrypt, published an article delving into SEC versus Ripple, describing how both sides have a lot to lose in the case, with Ripple's XRP status as a security hanging in the air and the SEC's crypto agenda needing a big win. It goes into how the SEC likely waited as long as it did to bring the lawsuit because it was setting precedent with its kick and telegram cases. And because clear regulation for crypto is unlikely to come anytime soon from Congress, Robert says that regulatory clarity for the industry is likely to come in the form of a decision in SEC versus Ripple. And that could come as soon as this fall. Speaking of the SEC, its chairman, Gary Gensler, wrote a letter to Senator Elizabeth Warren advocating for quote, additional plenary authority to expand consumer protection via new rules and guardrails for the crypto industry. Gensler believes that crypto investors, quote, are not adequately protected. Time for fun bits. Ethereum pet rock NFTs. Call it a fad, call it a bubble. NFTs are still here and the headlines are not getting any less head scratching. One caught my attention this week as especially, shall I say, interesting. Ether Rock, an early NFT project consisting of 100 NFT images of identical rocks of various shades, saw two rocks from the collection sell for over $100,000 worth of Ether this week. The website, of course, specifically explains that the Pet Rock-inspired project, quote, serve, and this is in all capital letters, no purpose outside of being, well, colored rocks. What a time to be alive. All right, thanks for tuning in. To learn more about Moodit and the Poly Network exploit, be sure to check the links in the show notes. Unconfirmed is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Anthony Yoon, Mark Murdoch, and Daniel Ness. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.